All right, here we go again, The Crave Show. If you want to waste a perfectly good hour hanging out with me and Jay Russ, this is the way to do it. All right, so we're back again. Jay Russ, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you, too. How's, how's your week been going? Or a couple weeks since we recorded, how's everything been going? Uh, it's been going well. I, I mean, you know, some interesting philosophical things. I, Steph and I... Um, Invested with a friend in a property down near uh, Four Corners, kind of like where the if you know that where f- four states meet. Yeah. Just you know, we like to rehab places, and this is uh, this one was in need of rehab. It it had a, a half a mile of water pipe that we had to lay a trench f- to get water to the house. And the whole point of that is, if you don't shower for a week, warm water inside your house is miraculous, uh, <laughs> and. So we got the water line connected, and all we had was cold water. There's no plumbing in the house or anything. But we put in a yard hydrant, if you're familiar with that. Like, put in a what? It looks like kind of a pump. It's called a yard hydrant. It looks like a hand pump, but you just open it, and the water flows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know someone. Yeah. So I hooked a hose up to that and had a freezing cold shower, but after six days of not showering, it was still pretty nice. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I wanted to start off uh, this week. I want to bring up. A comment that somebody left on the from the last episode that we recorded and I thought it was really a really good uh, point that he made you know we were talking about you remember we were talking about seat belts last time yeah and uh, I, th- I think we had a pretty good discussion I enjoyed it but he brought up the fact or the he was making the point which I was really thankful for that whenever he takes his seat belt off in the plane he always tries to keep it like he's he's particular and specific um, intentional about where he puts it mm-hmm. just in the off chance and and he he said this himself in his comment and I know that it's rare that you would ever have to put your seatbelt back on I mean like that is a rare occurrence that you would need to do that but if that happens his point was hey when you take your seatbelt off don't just you know throw it around or get rid of it or stuff it back behind the the bench or whatever but take it off with intentionality put the both pieces somewhere where you know where they're at so that if you are in a hurry to get buckled back up everybody knows where theirs is because if everybody just takes them off and stuffs them around and then there's an issue a problem and the and the pilot's like buckle up we're going down and you're not getting out and everybody's scrambling to get their seat belts then that could be problematic right because now you're fighting over seat belts you don't know whose is whose yours got lost they're all tangled up again so i i thought that was really you know, a very small thing, simple to do. Um, I'm guessing you, you probably saw that comment too. Did you have any thoughts on it? Um, I, I did see it, and I guess, um, I mean, that is a no-cost benefit to you, I think. I mean, there's just as long as you're being mindful about it, there's just no reason not to do it. It doesn't, doesn't hurt anything. I've, I've, I've been in six or seven, I can't remember, aircraft emergencies. None of them were uh, like a pilot turns around and says, get out of the airplane. Uh, they were all, not I can't say mellow, but but they, they weren't, they, no catastrophe was happening. The engine wasn't on fire. I think they were all twin engines, and they we lost one engine. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, I don't want to discount what Boo's saying because it is a good comment. I just um, I think sometimes when people think about aircraft emergencies, that their minds tends to wander towards the wing fell off the plane or something, you know. Uh, and 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 not that that can't happen, but um, I've had quite a, quite a few jumps and, and it probably I don't know more aircraft emergencies than most people, and um, it's been calmer than you probably expect. Yeah, yeah. I've ne- I've never. I mean, I've ridden the plane down, but it was because of, like, you know, winds picked. Nothing dangerous. It was just like, hey, clouds rolled in, got super windy down there. We're, you know, we're all riding down. So it was super mellow. Not a big deal. Yeah. But never never an emergency or, you know, malfunction. You know, never anything, problem with the plane or anything like that. So, but I, yeah. I really appreciated him taking the time to, to watch the podcast, think about it, and give some thoughtful thoughtful feedback. That was that was nice because that's what I mean really that's what Crave is all about like all of us trying to learn from one another push each other forward just increase raise that level of of knowledge and understanding safety awareness all that stuff yeah I actually had a a friend that I started jumping with I I was talking to him last night 
I haven't talked to him in a couple of years about something totally unrelated. And um, he mentioned that he had listened to the podcast. And I said, oh, that's great. And uh, he asked me what Crave was about. And so I had to give him my synopsis of what you're doing or what we're, what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, when you put it into words, it's a pretty – it's just a great idea, and and I know I'm I'm a part of it, so I'm biased. But but the idea of sort of, um, I don't know, collecting or conglomerating that the knowledge into a, a a place where people can tap into that on a regular basis is is pretty cool. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, just and I, I've continued to think about the, the amount of knowledge that's represented in the courses that we have so far. Like right now, we have six courses. Y'all, you know, your your course, you and Steph, y'all's course is about to go up here pretty soon. Then we've got a course from Pete Hallam. I mean, just the number of skydives that are represented <laughs> in the instructors. Did I tell you this? It's like 160,000 skydives. Yeah, I believe it. Um, and, and then if you start calculating, like, the amount of time, the the financial investment, the gear, the, the I mean, <laughs> the amount of knowledge... And the, the value of the knowledge that is represented within just the 13 instructors that we have right now is, it, it blows my mind. Like, it's mind-boggling. And yeah. to, I mean, that's, and that's what it is. I mean, really, I, I, it makes me proud and it makes me excited because that's what we're trying to do is provide something of extreme value for a very, very reasonable cost to the end user, that they get this knowledge. And like, and that's the you know the saying for posterity's sake. Like that's yeah. really what I think we're trying. We're doing this for posterity. Now it's it's within a limited scope of people, the skydiving community. But I mean that's our community. That's who we care about, right? Like I mean, so yeah. they're the ones we're trying to provide for. Yeah, and it, it. I mean, it's it's somewhat ambitious, only in the idea, I guess, that it hasn't been tried before. But but I mean, the number of times, for instance, that I've gone to a free fly event and had to you know hash over the exact same information that no one has ever sort of quantified before or or um set down in a in you know the stuff that we did on free flying people can can go and listen to that and and it it, it reminds me a little bit too of um Melissa Nelson Rook's uh, older sister or younger sister I guess if you ask her um she she put together uh, like an AFF or AFP depending on your program a video package and um, I, can't, I can't remember all the places she's done it six or seven places now where she goes and dresses up as a student and goes their aircraft their landing zone their procedures everything and and they ended up doing it it's got a Chicago um, I think she had done one or two and then Rick saw it and said hey let's do that up here and the AFP which is their program those instructors said the students came in ready to teach the class they were so prepared when because they had watched all the videos and they're broken up similar to the way you did it and kind of in modules and um, and easily digestible bits and the retention was amazing. Uh, that's awesome. So I, I yeah I think that's really hopeful um, for uh, this kind of learning technique. Yeah, that's really cool. That that's really cool. Um, I want to say one more other thing before we, because I want to talk, I want to hear about the, um, the astronaut training that oh, you were doing yeah. just recently. I'm really yeah. interested. I'm super curious. But before that, just for anybody that's watching, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think we have much of an audience right now in the live, live recording, but maybe we'll have a few people watch this. You know, our hope is, Jay Russ and I have talked about this a lot. Um, our hope is that we can use this platform of the, the Crave Show, this video podcast platform to provide some free coaching to the audience. So if you're watching this and you're thinking about future recordings, um, you can go to the Crave website, cravetofly.com, and then you click on the link for the show. So it's cravetofly.com forward slash the show, and you'll see a link on there where you can watch the recordings live. And um, then there's also a link where you can upload a video we have a Dropbox folder set up where you can upload a video in advance before we record. We'll go through those videos and we will select a few of them to actually use during the show where we'll, we'll pull your video up on the screen. We'll let you in from the audience so that we can actually see you 
talk with you. We'll have your video. We'll play the video um, so that we can see it. The audience members can see it. You can see it. And then we'll give you some um, coaching on that. So, you know, and, and um, especially with somebody like JRS, who's got, you know, a very eclectic um, amount of knowledge covering lots of different disciplines. If it's exits or canopy flight or angle flying or vertical flying or whatever. And if, if we don't know, we'll say we don't know. You know, we won't, we won't make up something if we don't know the answer. We don't know how to help you. But that's our hope is that this can be a way that we can really bless the skydiving community and provide some good information, some good instruction and coaching to help people progress and get better. Because that makes us all safer. And shoot, I think it's more fun when we're all better. We get to do more stuff together in the sky, right? 100%. And I mean... If this could incrementally help people, as you know, as we talked about last time, and the, the way the sport has evolved to something like uh, tunnel flying, and how much better everybody is, and how much better our skydives are because of that, in terms of not only the fun and, and the being able to uh, complete objectives, but the safety element of it is is so much better. So hopefully that can bleed over into what we're doing here. Yeah. All right. So astronauts. Okay, so how how did this? I mean, well, I want to know what happened, but how did you even get involved? Like, I just want to know everything, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, just to give a little bit of the backstory, so there's um, Rook gets a call from uh, this guy. His is uh, like a fighter pilot, but he's he's in this astronaut program. Uh, his name is uh, Sean. He but he goes by a call sign of Stroker. That's what is like you know maverick uh, but he's that's his real life um so anyway stroker calls rook and said hey we've got astronauts that are part of the ace spacex program and they're they wanted to get into skydiving as a way to mentally prepare for stressful situations that might come up during their mission unexpected scenarios and, and dealing with with sort of high stress situations so i think they've been scuba diving and uh, skydiving now and they have a couple of other endeavors they're going to try to team build at the same time as mental preparation they try to drop zone i believe in southern colorado and didn't have great success and um in this really kind of roundabout small world thing the the guy that paints uh the fighter pilot's jet went to high school with rook and he is a former skydiver, and he's out at Sky of Chicago. His name's Russ Ellis, and um, so in the in the group of four people that we jumped with, there's a, a super wealthy guy. He started a credit card processing company when he was 14. It, I'd heard that story before, but I I didn't know him personally, obviously. Um, but he ha also had something painted by Russ. And so when he lamented a little bit that we wanted to go skydiving, but it didn't work out, this drop zone scared us. Um, Russ was like, hey, hey, let me put you in touch with Rook and get this done right. And so they started talking. And then Rook messaged us and said, hey, we've, I've got these astronauts that want to learn to skydive. We'd like to go down to Sebastian over this, these dates. Um, and I, I really want you guys to come. I kind of sold you guys already. So for me to say you can't come now is kind of going to look like a junk show. So whatever your scheduling is, you need to figure it out. But I need you here. <laughs> Um, like and so be here. It, it interestingly, it did end up working out because and we didn't even have to cancel anything because the scheduled stuff that we had was training people in the Colorado Springs Tunnel. that's relatively new. And they punched a couple fan blades uh, off of the fans. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah, you and, told me. So, yeah. So they were down for a few weeks. I think they're starting operation again next couple days but n only at 80 percent and they're not ready to fly us anyway so but so we couldn't have done the coaching we had anyway um so we fly down there and and uh meet these guys and, and we're gonna do they did uh, a program through the air force academy in colorado springs called the 490 course where they they're basically um it's a like an ied kind of thing if you remember mm -hmm. that program where they've got a little egg timer on their pack and they've got I don't know, three seconds and then five seconds and then blah, 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 up to 11 or 12 seconds of free fall and then canopy flight. And, and they got through those five jumps and then they wanted to get their A license. So we met them in Sebastian, at Sky of Sebastian, and uh, started jumping. So the first night, and I'm, I'm actually, I wrote all this down because I, I was, I, 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 
I'll, I'll get to it and hopefully I can get through this without choking up. But they're, they're, they are astronauts and they are doing astronaut things, but this is the program to colonize Mars. And I didn't That's know crazy. that when we started. And, so wait, this, and is so, not through, this is not through NASA? No, this is SpaceX. Wow. So and cool. I didn't know that either. And so the first night we finished jumping and they're like, hey, come on over. We're going to barbecue. And we went over and hung out with them. And in the course of that, after dinner, they gave us, are you familiar with challenge coins in the military? No. Okay. So I worked with the Golden Knights for like five years. And in that time, a challenge coin is, is something that they'll give you if they feel like you've made an effort that's sort of above and beyond, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so my five years with the, the Knights, I mean, if, if my guys, I was coaching the VFS team, if they were up in the air and somebody needed canopy help or how can we do this exit or what, I, sometimes I packed parachutes because their packers wouldn't show up or whatever, you know, just we need to keep these guys jumping, especially this week because I'm out there. Um, and just a couple of times over the years, maybe six total, seven, I would get this challenge coin. And it's, it's like a, almost like a poker chip, but it's, it's got the Golden Knights. And, and there's all kinds of challenge coins. It's not just the Golden Knights. Probably every branch of the military has them. And not, I don't, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but I, I was happy that I got it. But uh, at the same time, it just sort of felt like normal day for me as far as just we have a goal and let's get to it. Mm -hmm. So after dinner, the astronaut crew pulls out a patch and a challenge coin and gives one of them to each of us. And Chris, I got to be honest. I, I mean, I've got a couple challenge coins in my backpack that I've been carrying around for years. I felt like freaking Gollum. Like this is my precious. And I'm just standing there. It's just thunderstruck staring at this thing and rubbing my thumb over it because they just explained and I wrote it all down in case you want to hear it but all this symbology that's it's that's depicted here as well is is incredible you want to hear it yeah I want to hear it dude show okay. me the coin show me that hold the coin up a little bit better okay. so we can see so it okay so the coin is here okay. and again it's kind of like a poker chip but it, yeah. um and then is it metal? there's there's it is metal yep and it's more in the back. some kind of ceramic or something I I don't know exactly I'm going to, I have to like not hold it in my hand or I'm going to rub it raw. Um, <laughs> I swear. <laughs> so it's, it's basically the same thing up here, except okay. not the, I'll explain the back in a second. So we actually videotaped, um, uh, this, this woman that, that, uh, was explaining it all. And so I'm going to recall what I can. I wrote it down from the video. Okay. Uh -huh. So there's, there's the astronaut, of course, the, the face plate. Yeah. Then there's, there's an astronaut outside of the capsule. Okay. That is a uh, homage to the first spacewalk. The new, uh, so this is representative of a spacesuit, obviously, but apparently SpaceX is working with this program because the NASA spacesuits were like billion dollar suits, hmm. uh, literally. And they wanted to make a suit that, I mean, it's not going to be free, but it's, it's it's going to be more accessible than a billion dollars. And not only that, but apparently all of the NASA astronauts, after they wore those suits, they, they had to get shoulder reconstruction on both shoulders because it was so hard mm. uh, to function in that suit. And so this is going to be something more like maybe you saw in uh, that Matt Damon movie um, uh, yeah, where he was on Mars. You know what I'm talking about. That's um, well, so it sounds, I mean, they could have just, they wait, wait, just wait. done high flights for a few years and done the same thing to their shoulders. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think they want, they don't want to wait a few years. Their launch is in like September. No, I'm saying destroy. Okay. The yeah. So that's the new suit tech. Then, uh, let's see. They are going for the highest earth orbit ever. And so that blue line is supposed to be the, uh, 1400 kilometers above the earth. Okay. Um, they're one of their major objectives is a new space-based technology. And so this little like flag looking thing coming out, mm -hmm. that's actually a communication representation. And it's using um, Starlink, it has laser-based technology in space. Hmm. Also cool. So the stars that you see in the sky, mm -hmm. those are each one represents one of the Gemini astronauts, oh, which wow. um, they were, 
the Gemini missions were the transition from Mercury missions to the Apollo mission. So it was sort of the pathway going from these previous space missions to push the tech forward, let's get on the moon. Mm. And this Polaris program is the transition from uh, the Dragon, which is the craft they're taking up, mm -hmm. to the Starship, which you very publicly crashed couple weeks yeah. ago yeah right when the couple of the engines went out and mm -hmm. but that that but is there the wasn't next anybody thing. there wasn't anybody on that was there no 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 and and they yeah. i think they ex kind of expected it to go down but that starship you know right now that four people can go into space on this on this the craft that we use this dragon starship yeah. takes 150 wow and so this apollo this polaris program is meant to be the bridge that that goes from previous space missions to put us on Mars. And so, uh, and then the four leaf clover kind of over here in the corner apparently goes on every SpaceX patch mm -hmm. ever. And then the only thing that's missing from this that's, that's, in, that's on this is on the back, that's right, that is Earth, yeah. Dragon, the Polaris program, yeah. and Mars. That's so cool. So That's cool, man. Yeah, super cool. They were all great people. Uh, what are the names on that? On that, um, it's bad? it's not ex so. Uh, Isaacson, Potter, Gillis, and uh, Poteet? does it say Poteet? Monin, Monin. Oh. oh, sorry, Poteet. Uh, yeah, Poteet. But I I don't think those are exactly the people we a couple of the people we worked with. Okay. So this this is the part that chokes me up. So, man, I grew up on science fiction, and Arthur C. Clarke in 2001, A Space Odyssey, and, and uh, you know, Cliff Simak and, and Isaac Asimov, and those were my books when I was a kid. And, like, okay, we're going to work with astronauts. They, they said this is the bridge to put people on Mars, and I almost started crying. I was just like, I, I, I'm playing some tiny part in a mission to Mars? Like... That's how is that so, even possible? How, that is how so did I cool, end man. up here? Uh, yeah, That's so, amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah. Rook was making so much fun of me because at the end, the, the two women came up to talk to me and, oh, thanks for all the instruction. And I literally broke down. I, I had to put my sunglasses on. I'm like, I can't cry in front of women that I don't know very well, <laughs> but I cannot believe I'm part of this project in some way. Uh, and I don't care that my part is tiny. I love it. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so super cool. So, like, what kind of things did y'all do? What would you? What did you teach them? What were they wanting Just, to learn? I mean, it was standard AFP. They, I mean, twenty getting you to A license, uh, tracking, turns in both directions, fall rate control. Um, the AFP program at Sky of Chicago is is a, sort of a, I think, an evolutionary next step from AFF, where like I went through AFF, and that's a seven jump program, mm -hmm. and uh, I actually. My, my instructor didn't tell me, but combined two levels, so I finished in six. So on jump seven, I'm going up in the plane by myself. Uh, and it was, I mean, I made it, but uh, this is a, this program gets you from zero to A license and there's canopy control and, and just, just, just a lot more involved. Um, so Man, yeah, maybe, maybe we should talk about that. Maybe next, uh, next episode yeah. or something like, like really kind of dig into that and let people, because I, I don't know, I wouldn't know the difference I mean, if you told me the difference, obviously I would understand, but I don't know anything about it, really. So that'd be, yeah. that'd be, that might be fun to sure. talk about sometime. Yeah. Well, dude, that's so cool. So did, um, was everybody, all the astronauts, were they all able to kind of do the stuff that they wanted to do and, and progressing it to the point where they were hoping to? Well, they thought it was going to be um, a two, basically a two four-day camp program to get them probably beyond 25. <clears throat> and then, sadly... Um, one of the women uh, landed hard on her first jump and sprained her ankle mm. and then uh, was not able to continue jumping. And then everybody else kept going. Uh, she kind of stayed around moral support and hearing all the knowledge. And then the last jump, which was around jump 18 or 19 for, the, for everybody else, um, we did a, you know, the point of their program with us is to simulate high stress environments and, and try and practice those their responses and so we 
tricked him a little bit and we did a five five hop and pop and then on the next jump we said okay here you're going to do your challenge dive which is like you're you're feeling like you're ready to graduate and instead we simulated an engine out at three five and so there, like there were three telling them yeah right and you so pretended like it was real yeah that's yeah. awesome dude. i mean wh what else can we do to, to help that you know that idea and so of the three of them one of them was not fooled at all no. <laughs> like the pitch of the engine changed he's like oh we're getting out early and then uh he i think he said oh what a, what a mystery we're at three five but the other two people were kind of stressed out so they didn't even hear that and he was getting out last so they thought as, as to what they said on the ground they thought we were having an i mean we did have an engine out but it was planned yeah. um so uh the 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 woman sarah left first and and uh melissa went with her and then my my guy was the fighter pilot guy and i went out after him and they both had good exits kind of a clear and pull idea and then the last guy who wasn't fooled and was not stressed out jumped out rolled on his back and pitched and the the, the canopy came out underneath his arm and and kind of wrenched his shoulder and so oh, it was the last day we were only going to do one or two more and they said you know what let's just call it right there yeah. um so uh we got him close to 25 but they knew it was going to be a two yeah. two session thing that's so that's so you all probably get back together with them sometime soon do some more uh yeah they're not sure if they can squeeze it in before the launch um but uh what's funny to me is that they're ordering gear that's so cool that's awesome <laughs> yeah Man, that's great Rick messaged us yeah. they they caught the bug yeah so when is the launch uh I, it was august but i think it i i mean i hopefully i'm not saying anything out of turn but um i believe it got pushed to september mm. cool yeah well um all right so you want to try to play this game we were oh, gonna yeah, play yeah. with I was, we're, yeah we were gonna play with some audience members but we don't have any audience members <laughs> So we don't have to play with the paper, but it's, um, I figured it might be easy. We could try it without the paper first and see. Did you watch that video I sent you? Okay, so. Oh, I'm sorry, it, I totally forgot. That's no, fine, it's, it's an easy game. So we're gonna say, I'm gonna say, okay, one, two, three, and we're both gonna say a word. Now the goal of the game is eventually we wanna both say the same word. So now, I mean, I played this with my, my niece the other day, and the very first time, first word, we both said the exact same word, just completely by accident, by chance. Like, I don't know, we just did. So yeah. we'll both say a word, and then, we'll, and then we go off of that word, like, then we're gonna try to find a word that connects them and get, okay. get to the same word. Does it make sense, kind of? It does make sense. I was, yeah, I was a little so, bit, yeah, go ahead. So normally what we would do is we'd play with teams. So we'd have people from the audience. We'd bring in two people. I would have one person would be with me. One person would be with you. And we'd see how many tries does it take y'all to get to the same word. So you might do it in four tries. Well, then we would try to do it. And of course, we're going to be doing different words and see how quickly we can do it. Who can, who can win each round? So can I ask before we start, because yeah. I didn't watch the video, yeah. am I just picking a word out of the ether or is this yep. like related somehow to skydiving or? No, I mean, we can, we can say a category, but no, normally you just pick a word out of the ether, just a random word and all right, you're going to try it. Okay. You got your word. Yeah. I, well, I use this word today, so I'm going to, I'm going to use it here. All right. So we're going to, we're going to say one, two, three, and then we'll both say the word. All right. One, two, three three glasses catharsis oh my god <laughs> okay you said catharsis glasses. oh my gosh okay um how long do, can we think about the connection we got to go right now i got my word and, and it's not i mean if the word don't if they don't completely match up like it's okay your, okay. your next jump you just got to figure yep. out something you ready one two three sleep clarity Okay. What did you say? Sleep. And you said clarity. Okay, so we got to figure out something that, that connects sleep and clarity. Uh, All right, you ready? Not really. Clarity um, <laughs> and sleep. Uh, All right, here we go. Oh, God. 
You made it too hard when you start off with catharsis, man. What are you doing? Well, <laughs> you said out of the ether. Uh, okay. Clarity. You ready? Um, what, wait, what was your word a second ago? Clarity? Cl- clarity. And I said sleep. All right, here we go. You ready? Yes. One, two, three, rest. R- resolution. Oh, man, so close. Rest, resolution. We're not doing very good. All right. I, 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 like you, you'd think there'd be like a little egg timer here for thirty seconds. You got to come up with a connection. But I guess if 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 we're live, you got to move it along. Um, yeah, we got to go faster. All right. So resolution and rest. Yeah. Okay. All right. I got it. <clears throat> you ready? One, two, three, peace. End. You said end? Yeah. You said peace? Yeah. Dude, we may have to start over. Peace. Mm, Yeah, maybe, but I got a good one already. Peace. End. You've got one? It's, if if you don't get it, it's taking us in the wrong direction. Oh come on! <laughs> Peace in. Dude, I can't even think of a word. <laughs> well, what are the words that we've said so far? I have said catharsis, clarity, resolution, and end. Yeah. And you started with glasses, sleep rest and peace okay and so we are on peace and end and all right i got one okay i'm ready one two three calm treaty treaty well the end of a war and getting to peace is a treaty that's good that's very good and you said calm yeah all right i'm gonna try one Calm and treaty. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Agreement. Tranquil. Dang it. <sighs> All right, let's oh, start Oh, I got over. a good one, though. Agreement. Let's start from scratch. Are you what would keep your going? next one be? Just, yeah, let's do it. One more. On this one? Yeah. What was it? Tranquil and calm? Yeah. No, no, no. Tranquil and agreement. Tranquil and agreement. Um... Okay, I don't think we're gonna say that. All right, sure. One, two, three. Accord. I was gonna say quiet. Okay. Your vocabulary is better than mine. My subscription to Jugs Magazine really paying off. I gotta step up my vocab game. All right, we gonna try one more? Yeah, this time don't be so esoteric. I'm I'm gonna look around the room. Uh, all right, I got it. I got it. You got one? Yeah. <clears throat> all right. One, two, three. Surfboard. Backpack. Okay. Surfboard? Yeah. Ready? Uh, yeah, what's the word? Uh, Backpack. I a word what comes to mind? The next thing that comes to your mind. Okay, go ahead. One, two, three. Travel. Beach. What'd you say? Traffic? Travel. Travel. Okay, travel. I said beach. Yeah, I got it. Ready? One, mm-hmm. two, three. Vacation. Sand. Sand and vacation. Okay. Sand and vacation. Um, oh, what's the word? Okay, I got it. Sand and vacation. Here we go. One, two, three. Daiquiri. What'd you say? Resort. Resort. Oh, I was thinking daiquiri because, like, you know, you're sitting on the beach, vacation, sand. Yeah. You want a daiquiri? Yeah. Resort. 
Okay, resort uh, daiquiri. Come on, we got this one, dude. This is, come on. Resort and a daiquiri. The one thing that connects those two. Come on, we got this. Okay. Oh, I so desperately want to give a hint to what I'm thinking. You ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Relax. Pool. Ah. You said relax? Yeah. I said pool. Uh, okay, pool, relax. Okay. Okay, come on. The one, the thing that connects these, pool and okay. relax. I think one, so. two, three. Sunbathe. Lounge chair. Uh, what did you say? Sunbathe. Sunbathe. <laughs> uh, we're terrible at this game. Lounge uh, chair. Yeah, now I'm. Yeah, okay, go lounge chair, engine. sunbathe. We're gonna do it one more. Okay. Here we go. One, two, three. Beach towel. Sunscreen. Oh, I was gonna say towel. I was gonna say towel. I thought about that. I actually was like, oh, I should say towel. Whew. Wow. All right. We'll have to try again another time. With maybe we'll do seven. better with audience members. We tried. We made seven attempts on both and didn't get there. But uh, that's pretty uh, bad. We'll have to think about that more um, okay yeah so we said we want to also talk about um, canopy traffic smart canopy flying <clears throat> maybe even canopy traffic in the pattern you know I don't know exactly what all you were thinking but I thought that was a really good idea so when you when you mentioned that topic what was on your mind what were you thinking about well I I like to read um, parachutists, but in really limited quantities, uh, and I, I kind of stick to. And there might be an article or two that I'm interested in, and I'll peruse that. and And sadly, what I what I want to try to learn from is some of the incident reports. Um, and so, no matter what else I look at in there, um, I'm gonna look at those because if, I mean, if there's any. I don't know, tribute that we can pay to those people who are not with us anymore. It's to try not to do the same thing that they did. Um, mm. And so there was a, a discussion. I, I don't know if it was in an article or uh, an instant, the instant reports, but it, it basically reminded me that USPA mandated that all uh, USPA drop zones separate high performance from other landing areas and um, we have we kind of have that at Scott of Chicago um, but Rook has been reluctant to delineate it very strictly because there's so many people that have been coming there for 30 years that he doesn't want to alienate those people by saying you can't land here and so there's much more impetus at Scott of Chicago that the high performance canopy people are very mindful of the interactions that could happen with people who are not on high performance canopies. So they have a, 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 a jump number minimum on the north end and everyone else on the massive south end. Um, so the north end is pretty constricted. Uh, but then I've, I've been to other places, um, you know, big drop zones that have their own version of, of that idea. Um, but it came up when we were jumping with the astronauts, not because of um, our, we had our own plane, so our traffic was very easy. Um, but uh, in a little bit of discussion while we were watching other loads go on the drop zone of some of the things that people were doing under canopy that weren't necessarily what I would recommend. Um, and so it just reminded me of some of the, sim the things that that I work towards with the SNTA at Scott of Chicago, Anthony, um, to try to get smooth and cohesive canopy traffic. And um, <clears throat> so there's a variety of issues related to that. Um, and I don't know if you just want me to kind of monologue about it um, or, or if you want to throw in what where your mind was at when I mentioned this topic. Yeah, we, <clears throat> we, could, do, we could do both either. Um, one question that I have is like, you can answer either one of these questions. You mentioned some things that you saw at the drop zone or just, not that they were terrible, horrible things, but it just caused 
it, it um, inspired conversation, I guess, and it brought up some questions and stuff like that. So if there's specific things that, that you saw or what is a really common, what are some of the common canopy, canopy traffic, canopy flying things that mistakes that you see people making or things that people are doing that it's just like, man, everybody needs to know this. How come nobody knows these things? One of the things that I really try and talk about a lot at Scott of Chicago is when the they have a taxiway in between the hangar and the main landing area. And that taxiway runs roughly north-south. And so when we're able to set the pattern right along that taxiway, it's pretty, it's pretty good. And, and people follow the first person down pretty well. If we have to, if we have to land, say arbitrarily northwest instead of straight north, in that pattern, I would, I would bet, both hands, that we're going to get everything from north to west, and that really bothers me. And I, I try to communicate to people that, look, if the first person lands northwest, like a 300 heading, you need to be at maximum within 10 degrees of that heading and that is the, that's the deviation you're allowed and and even that is a little bit frightening to me and I, it's hard to impress upon people that if, if we're getting a 90 degree spread that's potentially a fatality when when those people meet uh, and if if you hit somebody at 60 feet off the ground man it doesn't matter anymore who's right or wrong like we're going to try and learn from your accident afterwards, but you are an incident report at that point. And if either one of you survive that impact, I'm I'm going to be super impressed. And and somehow I, I yet every day at Scott of Chicago, where the people who are there genuinely care about the safety of the people that are jumping, I I can't seem to impress upon people to, that you're watching the first person down. And what's in even more interesting, I guess, on those in those moments is that when I'm watching it, it's because I just landed, and my team went exactly the same direction. Five of us in a row that are going exactly the same way, with almost no deviation at all, and then the other 18 people or 17 people are coming down, and and you get this real wide variance in in how they interpret our pattern. And not only that, but we are, we're following the T to the letter. Like if it's at 310, I'm trying to land 310. And, and I, I think I'm capable of that. Um, so that, that would be a, if, if I could get everybody in the community to just kind of self-assess, like, how did I do on that one? And if I didn't go 310 or whatever it was, why didn't I, did, am I not prioritizing my safety or the safety of that one other person that I might interact with? What are the when you when you talk to people? What are the excuses or the reasons that they give for not following the same heading? There's a lot of times that people will say, "I felt like I wasn't directly into the wind," and I almost think that's a, it's a kind of a tragic response. Like you, number one, you need to learn how to land your canopy downwind and crosswind and into the wind. And I, I accept that downwind landings make people nervous as they probably should, but you need to be learning that skill set for the moment that you can't land in the 60 acre landing area that we have, and you have to land in somebody's backyard next to a fence and a pool and a tree. And the only option you have is downwind in 20 miles an hour. And I, I mean, I, I understand that's an extreme example, but you're you're not if you're using all of these jumps into this wide open area to to I can only land directly into the wind I'm I'm arguing that you're missing the opportunity to save yourself when things are not perfect hmm. and I that scenario that I outlined I have done that in Scott of Sebastian we get a bad spot we're over the river there's one yard you can land in on the north side and there, there is a fence, and there's multiple trees, and there is a pool. I think there's a pool, and and I could only go downwind. That or I landed in the river, which mm -hmm. might have been safer to be honest. But, but, uh, yeah, it, it um, that I guess that that would probably be the biggest excuse. 
Um, That's the most common, you think? People saying, yeah. well, I just felt like I wasn't, wasn't directly, I was trying to get directly into the wind. Yeah. So it, it sounds like that, in that, that excuse, that person is, for them, they're prioritizing, they think that it's more important to be directly into the wind than to potentially what? What is the, what is the bigger danger? I mean, well, I, I think don't I think know what, I think I know what the answer is, but I want to hear you say, like, why is that not the priority? Because the candidate training is I mean, a you much bigger training danger. And, training and practice, that's good, but sure. what's, go ahead. No, but people aren't dying from a, a slightly crosswind landing. If, if, you, if you intersect somebody on a 90 degree course difference at, I don't pick an altitude. Yeah. I mean, you might survive that at 10 feet, but you bump that up to 20 or 30 or 40 and that suddenly becomes unsurvivable potentially. And if you do it at 100 feet, I, I, you're not going to make it. And and uh, and and it, like even if the, the first guy is an idiot and he goes downwind, you're you're probably not going to die from a downwind landing. But if you decide to go into the wind in that moment and somebody else follows the pattern and you guys intersect, that's it. Yeah. So really, that that's I'm among there may be other things, but that's the biggest thing on your mind is the potential for collision, right? Like if you yeah. collide going the same direction, that's still not good under canopy right on landing, but it's much right. better than, you know, and really, yeah. I mean, for a lot of people, the way we're, a lot of us are landing, the lower you are, the harder that collision is going to be. It, I yeah. mean, a, as far as horizontal, cause you know, at least, at least where, where I'm jumping, we're only allowed to do nineties in the main landing area. And then there is mm -hmm. another landing area that's for high performance where you can, you can do, you know, whatever. Yeah. So everybody in that landing area, the main landing areas, just coming straight in or doing a, a 90 or something like that. But, you know, you get down to 20 feet above the ground, 15 feet above the ground. A lot of these people are coming in with a pretty significant horizontal speed. Yeah. And if that's 90, like T-bone, right? I mean, is that, that's part of what you're saying. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm on a 75. If I do a 90 degree turn, that's the difference between maybe 45 miles an hour as opposed to if I do a 450, maybe 65 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, maybe that sounds like a lot, but if I hit somebody going 45, I'm, I'm in bad trouble. Yeah, and if and then on top of that, if it is you know 30, 40, 60 feet off the ground, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I think um, I think that's that's good to hear it's good for me to hear hopefully it's good for other people to hear like yes landing into the wind directly into the wind is ideal but the ideal forcing the ideal is not always the safest move yeah right and I, I, yeah i wish if i could translate that that sentiment into anything it would be that people are much more vigilant once they've done their controllability check or they've done their housekeeping, whatever, at two and a half thousand feet, they are eyes on, as much as they can, eyes on the landing area and seeing a consistent pattern and setting their bases so they can follow that pattern. I mean, that, that, that's the way that we can all be the safest. And it doesn't matter if you're doing a 450 or a 90 or whatever, if our, our final needs to be the same direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, do you have any, any thoughts or anything like just canopy traffic in general things that you mm. have seen on a regular basis or some things that you would like to address common mistakes that people make immediately after opening maybe even just flying to the holding area flying in any of that stuff what, what are things that you see yeah. that you think people I, need to know i mean the easy one to pick on especially with newer jumpers is just not to spiral that hopefully at, at every dz someone is is getting out there if they're seeing somebody make multiple revolutions on any size canopy that needs to stop um, and there are a host of reasons for that uh, I think maybe one good learning point is that uh, within my team we're all loaded very similarly um, and we jump together quite a bit so we develop a little bit of a pattern with okay this person is normally going first and this person is normally going second and as a for instance I'd say 95% of our landings last year Johnny Gunn was our camera flyer he was first and I was second and Dusty was third and Sam was fourth and Steph was last and that to a high percentage 
However, even knowing that, I am I'm I do my housekeeping and I'm in quarter breaks at least checking off all of my teammates where is everybody are we clearly in that pattern and if we're not I am instantly attentive to the fact that I'm a little I'm a little bit out of sequence here because taking for granted that it's my space when it might not be my space uh, like as a for instance I used to get coaching from Pat McGowan years and years ago when I was still belly flying if you remember who Pat is he got into a canopy collision with another AFF instructor. They were the only two people in the sky. Wow. And they both went in. And I, I don't know. I wasn't. It was at Paris Valley. I, I, I wasn't there, and I don't know exactly the circumstances, but my, my strong hunch is that the person who got out first thought they had clear space, and the person who got out second somehow ended up underneath. And that, that shit happens all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think getting your housekeeping done and it's trying to check off the group that was in front of you, the group that was behind you, the people in your group, and at a slower speed, half breaks, quarter breaks, like slowing things down and having a good assessment of, uh, of what the scenario is. And um, if we jump back to my team, like if we were out of sequence, my other teammates are doing the same thing. And like, for instance, Dusty almost always landed after me. If he's down below me, I'm, he's looking up at me, waiting for me to like kick a leg and say, no, 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 you go, I see you, before he even starts to ac- accelerate at full speed. So just a, a little bit stronger assessment of uh, the, in your group and then the groups around you as far as what's going to happen for canopy traffic. How, how important is it for any, any, level, any level of experienced jumper to be conscientious of the number of people on the load with them and then re- and then counting those canopies in the sky and paying attention to that how, how necessary is that well i think th- that people could really benefit from when we're loading the plane hope or not loading sorry we're in the loading area it's the 10 minute call it's the five minute call be in the practice of getting there early and then just take a casual look around at people's backpacks and if if somebody that's jumping a 210 looks at my backpack I'm not an issue for that guy or I, I, you know, strange circumstances aside, he and I are really not going to interact. I'm going to, I'm going to be on the ground. He's not even doing his housekeeping yet, but you can look at other people. Okay. That guy's kind of got a big canopy. That guy's kind of got a big canopy or for me, it's okay. Who else is on a a little pocket rocket? And I'm, those are the people that I need to be conscious of. Um, what does their suit look like? What's their helmet look like? Some easy way that I can identify. Oh yeah, that's that guy. Okay. I got him. And, and maybe you can even make a conscious effort of like, all right, there's, a, there's five other people here that have canopies that look like they're around my size. I'm going to check them off when I get under canopy because that's my traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And then real quickly, can you talk about, you know, spiraling down? Why is that? What's the problem with that? Well, if we just start from the idea that everybody has a wing loading and if we all open up at around the same altitude, which is of course a goal, um, you know, anybody opening high, students, tandems, somebody that wants to pull at 5.5 five or whatever, they're gonna go towards the back of the plane. The rest of us are gonna open around 3.5, 3,000 feet, something like that is pretty standard. Um, <clears throat> there is just a very natural canopy progression that happens as far as our descent rate. And if everybody goes full flight, say, I know I just said quarter breaks and I do that, but arbitrarily, if we all go full flight, somebody that's on a, even a 90 is going to get to the ground 10, 15, 20 seconds after me. We do nothing else. We just fly a, a box pattern like we learned in AFF. So when you start doing things like multiple 360s, you are breaking that, that very natural uh, landing pattern that could have happened and you're injecting yourself into a situation that you probably don't want to be in. Um, you lose spatial awareness super easy. You lose altitude awareness super easy. You can make yourself have vertigo that you didn't expect. Um, it's very uncommon. Like if you think back to AFF, everybody's going, okay, I'm going to look right and turn right as you should. You're going to look down and left or down and right wherever you're, you know your pathway is going to be. After that first revolution, you don't know what is going on around you, and you have lost everybody. And and that should be setting off alarm bells, but people get into that, well, I'm just going to bury a toggle, and I'm going to have fun, or whatever. Um, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine a scenario that I would get out and want to spiral 
in the first place. But if there's any other canopies in the sky, I'm, I'm absolutely not doing that hmm. for at, yeah. at least that many reasons. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, you, you, you said something else made me think, think of a question. I don't remember. Um, I'll wait. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, any any other thoughts on on canopy traffic or younger jumpers? What are, what are things that that you? <clears throat> um, we had a situation a couple of years ago where a guy who wanted to be an organizer at Scottish Chicago came and and uh, he interacted with. Um, hopefully, I'm not outing her, but he interacted with a woman who's been around for a while, Sally. She's a, a belly flyer um, at our drop zone, and, I, and she's got six or seven thousand jumps over the 30 years she's been jumping there her and her husband chuck are there all the time they're just super good people and this guy that wanted to be an organizer came and and um sally is going to turn to final very similar to an aff student no no attempt to add speed to her canopy and this would-be organizer was chatting to her in the landing area and she's in the thousand jump area as, as she's totally acceptable to be and he's kind of questioning her about her pattern and and she she stopped him and she's like I want to land safe I don't I don't I don't need to hear all this about your swoop and I I think it was I mean he's not going to be an organizer at the drop zone and it, but it was such an important thing for me to hear <clears throat> just to recall that like your your swoop has nothing to do with getting down safely and and you have no right to swoop at the drop zone as I don't either and I I have gotten frustrated about things like that in the past, but I've kind of adopted the the philosophy that I hope some other experienced people will will get that <clears throat> you know if I have somebody come to me and say, "Man, did I get in your way?" Because sometimes people do say stuff like that and be like, <laughs> "Man, at at my jump numbers, if I can't get around you safely, that's not your fault." Uh, and so I I think that's that's an important thing for people who are kind of coming up in the sport. They and they, they want to have their high-performance landings, and everybody else just wants to land safely, and, and that's an important thing to remember. Yeah, that's good. And it's easy, you know, I can think back to a time when I had a, a little bit of a scary landing, and I think back to the, first of all, the chain of events, right? Remember last time we talked about how it's multiple things yeah. that add up, and if you just break one of those things, but how, you know, you get focused on not you stop thinking about the priority of safety and doing it the right way and you start th you you know you I, I was prioritizing landing close to the to the packing room or whatever yeah. or wherever I wanted to I was prioritizing you know not landing you know in the mud or wherever you know I was prioritizing the wrong things and yeah. um, thinking about you know myself or looking cool or convenience or whatever all those things probably and uh, it's just it's really easy to do it's it's easy to prioritize those other things like see it's easy to prioritize getting a good swoop in you know and yeah then you get hurt yeah yeah um, i mean the worst would be that not even, not even that you get hurt but you end up hurting somebody else who makes an avoidance mm -hmm. maneuver because of what you're focused on which isn't safe canopy flying or getting everybody to the ground safely but just and and man i i like landing close to the hangar i don't want to land in mud i like swooping if you know i, I do think it looks cool and I, I i don't hate that part either um but it's if you lose track of what the real priority is as far as getting everybody's feet back on the ground safely then mm -hmm. that would be a hard pill to swallow if you cause somebody else harm yeah okay here, here's a question this kind of <clears throat> kind of putting you on the spot but for the you know we're talking about landing on the same heading that the first person sets it doesn't matter if it's not perfectly directly into the wind if it's a little bit <clears throat> crosswind or whatever so for younger jumpers less experienced jumpers out there or maybe people who just aren't quite as confident under canopy is there are there any tips or things that you could give um and maybe we need to wait and, and follow up with this next next time so you have some time to think about it but making those crosswind landings or those landings that aren't perfectly into the wind what are some practical things that 
people can be doing to make those landings better and still safe because I, I know that's probably a little bit of the concern you know when you haven't done that you know I can remember the first mm-hmm. time I, I landed downwind was because I was off I landed off and I was so nervous about landing off that I wasn't paying attention to the direction of the wind and I landed yeah. downwind and just got luckily it was grass and super tall grass soft and I, you know, I didn't get hurt other than just getting all dirtied up um, but it was as I came into land and I wasn't slowing down it did get a little bit scary I was like oh no what's happening you know so I, I get it that people are a little bit nervous or scared about those things um, yeah so the, the layup answer the super easy one is that everybody needs to get into canopy course and so Kurt and Jeannie come up to Scott of Chicago there's a there's a flight one course that was available at Scott of Chicago I don't know if it's still going to be but the, the a structured canopy course from hope I'm I don't want to denigrate anybody but I, I would really love to see not the, the AFF instructor that's going to do a four-hour course on one Saturday because he doesn't have any work that day and and instead taking um, a Brian Germain course a Kurt and Jeannie course um, uh, Greg Windmiller course uh, who, who am I missing flight one. Um, flight one of course um, you know that those those courses are structured over years mm-hmm. of of learning and practice and refinement and the, they are going to put you in situations that are going to get you practice for those unknown circumstances that can come up in the future so that your first time landing downwind is not when you're nervous and you're off the drop zone you're going to do it in the course with video and instruction beforehand and this is how you're going to handle it and this is what you're going to do to your basis and this is why you need to set up and this is your body position and and you're going to get this structured way to go about this that's going to prepare you mentally and physically for those situations that are unexpected and then you're not going into it blind and you're not going into it nervous and i'm not saying your heart rate won't be up but i, I am saying that that if 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 life has any merit it's practicing for what you might come up in the future and those are a lot of unknowns mm. um so that's the easy 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 answer if you can't do that or, or you know you don't want to you don't want to pay for the course which i i would argue against heavily but um then you can go out and do hop and pops on light wind days um when you do have the, the skies not maybe to yourself but close s- close enough that you can say hey there's one other hop and pop in this load what are you doing are you are you going to swoop okay cool i'm going to i'm going to pull at 5 and just sit in breaks until I see you on the ground because I want to practice going crosswind or downwind or whatever. Um, and, and you don't have 21 other canopies in the sky with you or whatever aircraft your, your DZ has. So that's sort of the, the cheap way to go about it, I guess. Um, you, can, you can ask more experienced canopy pilots around the DZ, like, are there exercises that I can do on those hop and pops? Um, but uh, I, I would still argue that a structured canopy course is it, is the way to go and not only that but you know like if i pick on flight one or or kurt and genie's program which is alter ego um they have i don't know kurt and genie have, probably have 12 or 15 levels that can take you from uh, you're in aff right now or you just graduated to standing on the podium at the world meet and each of those levels is is a progression of course um but i i would argue that uh even if you've taken a canopy course, get back. And even if you take the same one, you're going to be amazed at how much you forgot. Mm-hmm. And in the first course, you're probably going to be amazed too. Like, how did I get this far without this stuff? Uh, yeah. So that would be my big answer. Yeah. You, what you just said about that, that exact thing, same, that exact thing happened to me. I took a canopy course with Jeannie like, I don't know, six years ago, a long time ago. And I remember feeling like I learned so much. I I know, I I mean, I did. I learned a lot. And then um, it was, you know, years later when then we got together with them and we filmed the course, the canopy piloting course for Crave. And so I'm sitting there while we're videoing, while we're filming the course, I'm sitting there listening to everything. And so much of it felt like new information. You know, I was like, man, I learned so much from (laughs) from watching us film this course. 
and it was probably a lot a lot of the stuff was probably what they went over in the course I took you know six years ago or whatever but you just there's so much you can't take it all in or you forget or whatever and um, that's another thing I mean that's one thing that I hope people are are benefiting from with with Crave and the course that we're doing is that they can go back and watch the courses over and over and over and I've had yeah. quite a few people tell me that they're doing that and that they they really appreciate that and enjoy that aspect of the content that they can revisit it over and over again and I'm really excited I mean, that's, about that. Uh, it's such a benefit to be able to do that and especially like I'm going over as you said our course is going to go <laughs> it, what it really needs is me to finish the, the review um, and uh, sorry Sharon I'll get on it um, but uh, in, in reviewing it I, I even all that information is very comfortable to me and just thinking about somebody ingesting all of that it's drinking from a fire hose and you know I'm watching six modules in a night or seven modules in a night it's so much information and obviously there's a lot more that we could talk about but but the ability to to watch let's watch the information see the video watch the mechanics of what we're doing go try it come back and watch it again after the the experience of of you actually trying it where the things that we said that were maybe kind of fuzzy are now crystal clear because you tried it yourself and just the just the repetitive nature of that access to the information is is super nice and i i i i know that it's 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 slow growing right now but i'm really hoping it's going to explode with there's nothing else like it and and unless I mean, what, what you're charging is insanely cheap, in my opinion, considering that one day of my coaching is $400. Yeah. One day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, That's thank you. <laughs> it's a good plug. Yeah, it's true. Well, um, all right. We're going to – we don't have any audience members – so we're not we're going to do like a little Q&A or the videos uh, but we're we're going to end with a puzzler all right so here's the puzzler this right here you see that J Russ we do and for the audience members if if anybody actually ever watches this video the the puzzler is figure out how to draw this exact image without taking without picking your marker up off the paper now don't say you got it because next week I'll reveal the answer but if you can if you're watching this and you can figure it out if you um, want to send your answer in hmm. we're going to try to come up with a prize for people and uh, the email you can send your answer to you just have to either a short you could do a short video of you doing it or a short explanation, you know, written explanation of how to do it. You can send it to puzzler at cravedofly.com. If you send your answer, we'll, we'll pick one of those correct answers at random and that person will win a prize. A super awesome, amazing prize. We don't know what it is though. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a t-shirt or something. All right, so there it is. You see it? Do you have any idea? Don't say. I mean, I something came to mind, but I don't. I don't know if it's uh, true. So okay, so you have to. Yeah. How can you draw that without picking up your marker or pen off the paper? It can be done. All right. Well, you've done it again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour hanging out with us here yeah. at Crave. It's me and Jay Russ, Chris Fikes, and Jason Russell. I had fun. Yeah, man. All right, Jason. Thanks, man. And. Uh, We'll see everybody next time. Until then, blue skies, do more, be better. Absolutely. See you guys. Bye.